Welcome to Proven Improbable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson, and joining us today is one of the preeminent names in the natural resource space. He is the mercenary geologist, Mr. Mickey Fulk. Sir, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for the kind words, Maurice. <laughs> you know, it's an honor to have you with us today to discuss and share your insights into the current state of the uh, natural resource space. For those that may not be familiar with your work, please share with listeners your background as a geologist and your contributions to the natural resource space. I have a bachelor's degree in earth sciences from the University of Tulsa. That's an oil school. I spent one summer working in the oil business and decided I wanted to work outside and not hang well logs on the wall and look at squiggly lines. So I went to graduate school, University of New Mexico, um, did a thesis on a copper prospect, which I sold my claims to a mining company and I got to drill my thesis project, which is unusual. Of course, it failed, as most projects do, but it launched a 30-year career as a field geologist. And ninth, or excuse me, in 2007, I decided I wanted to be an analyst in the business. So I put the word out, and a couple of months later, I landed my first analyst job, and the mercenary geologist was spawned a few months later. I was told when uh, I became an analyst by a fellow newsletter writer that I would write a newsletter within a year, and I said, that's one thing I don't have the patience or the dedication to do is write a newsletter, and 11 months later, I was writing a newsletter. However, your, your, your work is out in the public domain and is, is quite impressive, I must say. I, I'm a follower. Well, thank you very much. We run a free subscription service, so at least the price is free, and, and I'm fairly prolific. I do lots of interviews. I probably put on, on average about uh, 200 products a year, and so there's lots of content. Yes, sir, there is. May I ask you this? As a geologist, as an, as an analyst, and as an investor, in your experience, what are the major differences you see with natural resource investors such as myself that don't have a background in geology? Are we parallel in our investment analysis, or do you see a major bifurcation? Well, I, without sounding egotistic, I see a great difference in the ability of the lay investor, even the professional investor, who does not have a technical degree, either a geology degree or or mining engineering degree in evaluating projects. So that's what I can bring to the table. You know, I've got uh, basically 35 years in this business. Uh, uh, and so I have an ability to look at a project from various angles, the commodity, the geopolitics, the geology on the ground, the resources, and make a very quick decision and most lay investors just really don't have the training to do that. It's a lot like, I mean, you probably know some people, maybe you're one of them that can look at a, at a, a balance sheet, financial statements, and immediately go and find red flags on that. And, you know, I have to really study financial statements to, to get an idea of what they actually mean. But but I do have the ability to look at a project or a resource estimate and immediately go and look at the fatal flaws. And, and this really is a, a fatal flaw business. You know, there's 
In the good times, there's arguably 1,500 junior resource companies listed on the uh, Toronto exchanges. Um, my due diligence will allow me in very quick uh, fashion to eliminate 98% of those. So immediately I'm, I'm down to just a few companies for consideration. Well, that's it's quite impressive because I believe investing is a team sport. And as you're correct in, in, uh, your, in your assumption, <laughs> that you're able to bring something else to the table for all listeners that don't have that background, uh, which is uh, geology and, and is uh, it to, to mirror the two together really does help with you with an, uh, an analysis for one's portfolio. So that's I'm glad you're, you're here sharing your wisdom and experience with us. Allow me to ask you this. Um, Sticking with the theme of natural resources, uh, are we finally out of the bear cycle in this secular bull market? Well, you would think so, but it's still early on. You know, I'm looking at a chart of the Toronto Venture Exchange Index right now, and it's gone from an all-time low of 466 on January 20, uh, January 20th. And we're now sitting at 638. So that's a gain. Hang on a minute. Let me calculate this. Uh, in my head, it's uh, about uh, a little bit more than 35% gain in what, uh, less than three months. And so the price of gold is up. Commodities uh, other than gold are not doing particularly well, but it looks to me like we've hit bottom. It's still probably early, but you know, bear markets don't last forever, and the baddest bears spawn the biggest bulls. So um, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. Well, as a value investor, I love uh, opportunities such as this right here. I have a two-part question yeah. for you here. Um, what effect do you believe the elections will have in the space, and do you see a benefit to investors if one is elected versus the other? Well, I'm a libertarian, so I'm probably not going to vote for Billary or t Trump the chump, <laughs> assuming that uh, those two people end up with major uh, nominations, major party nominations. But uh, that said, as a libertarian, I'm a free market uh, conservative, so I would say that a Republican administration would be better for the natural resource sector simply because uh, they if they stay true to their colors or to their platform, which doesn't always happen, uh, they would tend to back off some of the onerous regulations that the present administration has put on the natural resource industry. Well, we share a lot in common. I, too, am a libertarian, and I come to the same conclusion as you have there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes I subscribe to the P.J. O'Rourke thesis that uh, don't vote, it only encourages the bastards. And I say that with tongue in cheek <laughs> because I generally uh, will vote uh, for the libertarian candidate. You know, Gary Johnson, who ran in 2012 as ex-governor of the state of New Mexico, where I reside, and, uh, and he did quite well as a Republican, as a libertarian-leaning Republican. So I think he'll probably end up with a libertarian nomination and there's polls that show he's going to pull something around 12 percent of the vote uh in in a general election you know i tend to believe that if you have a, a 
a Democrat, and I view both parties as Keynesians, but I think, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, I tend to think that that uh, bodes well for precious metals, but uh, we'll we'll see here in the coming uh, months. Yeah, I'm not sure that uh, American politics has a has a, a whole lot to do with the price of precious metals anymore. You now it's it really becomes uh, the state of the world economy, perhaps, and and gold is favored and is looked upon as safe haven. You know, I have about 20% of my net worth in gold, physical gold in my physical possession. And, and so in times of financial distress, I think that's when, when gold does well. Well, that leads me right into my next uh, question here. Uh, here on Proven and Probable, we advocate the stewardship of bullion. That's gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. And specifically, we favor the white metals over gold at the present. What are your thoughts on bullion allocation to these metals in one's portfolio? Well, I do a lot of work on uh, ratios. In fact, uh, I hope on Friday, if not this Friday, the following Friday, we'll have a, a seminal piece on the gold-silver ratio, which we have traced since 1792, uh, when the first monetary system in the U.S. was established. Uh, and the gold-silver ratio is way out of whack right now. It was well above 80 for most of the last uh, six weeks or so. It's now dipped a bit as silver is caught up, uh, but it's still very high, around 75, 76 right now. Uh, so that becomes a buy signal for silver. Uh, that said, if you ask me, uh, would I be buying uh, gold or silver right now, I would tell you I'd be buying platinum because the platinum to gold ratio is uh, less than 80, and it touched 75 a couple of weeks ago. I think it's probably about, uh, and I should say it touched 0 0.78, mm -hmm. uh, 0 0.8, 0 0.78, uh, 0.75, and there's only a couple of times in the history since Nixus took us off the gold standard in 1971 has the ratio been that low. So uh, from that point of view, I think platinum is the real buy right now. Yeah, I concur with your thesis there wholeheartedly. I love platinum and palladium, and uh, although you didn't mention palladium specifically, I do love the white metals uh, more than the, the uh, gold at present. I Last week, I attended the Oxford Club Investment U Conference, and one of the things they highlighted there was whenever the gold-silver ratio is at above 80, the, which is every five to six years, they show that it immediately goes down to 50 shortly thereafter. Once it's, And so, as you mentioned, we're right around 70, uh, upper 70s. Is that correct right now? The gold Yeah, stars? right now, I think uh, on Friday it was 77. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's going down. Uh, but the fact that it was above 80 is quite unusual. You know, when you have these rallies in precious metals, uh, silver generally follows gold, but being more volatile, it usually goes up or down more than gold. It really hasn't happened uh, in this rally of the gold market from, what, 1046 or something was low, uh, if memory serves, back in October. Uh, so from that point of view, uh, silver's got some catching up to do, but trouble with silver is mainly... In industrial mineral, well over 50% is used in industry and is basically uh, 
most of that is lost, very little of it's recycled, somewhere on the order of oh, maybe 20-25% uh, of, si of silver used in industrial processes is actually recycled. Uh, whereas gold, 98% of the gold that's ever been mined is still above ground in a hoard someplace, uh, either in jewelry or held by central banks or private investors, only 10% used in industry. So from that point of view, ultimately you want to own gold. Uh, you buy silver, at least I would buy silver. You always want to have a little silver on the on hand. Junk silver is uh, a bag of junk silver is a good way to do that. But uh, you know, if you buy significant amounts of silver, you're buying it when it's undervalued, with the idea that when the gold ratio, silver ratio, as you pointed out, goes back to something more normal which normal is probably average 55 or so since 1971, then you turn that back into gold. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, sticking with the theme there uh, in reference to uh, silver, you mentioned junk silver specifically. I like the merits of only junk silver because of its divisibility, specifically dimes. I, I'm assuming you're in the, the, for the same reason? Yeah, yeah I, got, uh, I got some bags of junk silver. I'm fairly agnostic as to whether I own dimes or quarters. It <laughs> uh, doesn't really seem to, because they have the same amount of silver in them. But uh, yeah, it's interesting if, if for listeners out there have never bought a bag of junk silver, a lot of, you know, that stuff was bagged up in 1964, 1965. Um, you know, a couple of bags I own uh, have NYDOP on it, New York Department of transportation and they're from uh parking meters in new york city from the 60s so uh a little anecdote i thought uh, oh, interesting <laughs> you know as i mentioned earlier last week i attended the oxford club investment u conference and the theme there was energy what are your thoughts right now on oil and gas and uranium well the price of oil at 40 dollars a barrel uh, that's not really sustainable but the problem is we have a glut of oil, somewhere on, on the order of a million and a half barrels per day. Uh, demand continues to increase. Last year, we were up to about 2 million barrels a day as a surplus. So uh, demand's increasing, but as the price went down, we thought that lots of production would come off. And what's really happened is a lot of countries, uh, emerging market countries, if you will, and, and the and the major oil producers, U.S., Saudi, Russia, et cetera, uh, everybody produced more oil last year. So a lot of these countries are dependent on oil revenues. So uh, when profit margins go down or netbacks go down, they increase production. So the fact that we have a glut of oil, we've got a glut of gas in North America, I think that's going to take a while to work off. Uh, uranium is has no short-term demand right now price hit 27 dollars uh actually it hit 25.75 on friday that is a 12-year low for the price of uranium all in all though uranium is the answer for base load of electricity if the world is going to uh, to uh, reduce the carbon footprint from energy so I have a very long-term, or a, let me put it this way, a mid, 
the long-term, very bullish view on uranium. You know, I have to admit, uh, when the HEU Treaty, which is the highly enriched uranium treaty, when it expired in, I believe it was December 2012 mm -hmm. or 13, I thought that that was going to be the catalyst to get the spot price of uranium up, and I was admittedly mistaken. And then adversely, uh, you had the adverse situation there in Fukushima where you had additional supply come online. So I just wondered, what do you believe will be the catalyst for uranium to turn the corner? Well, it's going to be the fact that there are 66 reactors under construction. Uh, we are putting on average another uh, uranium reactor, another nuclear plant online every two months. There's something on the order of 160 or 170 that are planned at this point. Uh, which means they either have a footing port or, or at at uh, at worst they are financed. So it's just long-term demand for uranium is going to uh, be the catalyst. You know the uranium market can remain depressed for a number of years, but when it comes back, it comes back very rapidly. So uh, we uh, the HEU to LEU agreement supplied about 24 million pounds a year. That's been replaced by another agreement between the U.S. and Russia uh, for enrichment of, of uranium to the tune of about 12 million pounds per year. So the fact that Japan took all of its reactors offline uh, reduced demand at the same time that uh, that 12 million pounds went off the market, that net 12 million pounds. Uh, you're not the only person that got fooled. I think it was analyst consensus that this would be a catalyst, and it really was not. Well, thank you for sharing that as well. I was not aware of the new agreement. Um, yeah, that that new agreement was actually uh, replaced the old agreement, and that new agreement was in place uh, somewhere in the order of 20, the end of 2012, and the uh, megatons and megawatts agreement didn't expire until the end of 2013. Now, the new program, does it go under a different nomenclature, or is it still as the HEU treaty? Well, it's not an HEU treaty at all because it's not converting nuclear weapons. But uh, uh, what's, what really happened with the HEU to LEU uh, program was the Russians set up a lot of enrichment facilities to downgrade those nuclear bombs. So they have this enrichment capacity that they need to fill. So now they're supplying uh, not from nuclear weapons, but uh, uh, either through uh, production that they buy or uh, underfeeding, enrichment underfeeding, et cetera. They have lots of enrichment capacity, and so that's where that uranium is coming from. Well, thank you for sharing that. Let me ask you this. Uh, too often... I see natural resource investors only focus on gold and or silver. Since your work literally covers the entire natural resource space, where do you believe investors could and should also be deploying capital uh, that are piquing your interest right now? Well, it's a lot more. This, this market really functions on gold. It's driven by gold. But uh, if, if you look, probably the majority of companies listed on the exchange are looking for some other commodity. Uh, I am a copper bull, the long-term fundamentals, mid to long-term fundamentals of, uh, 
copper are compelling. You know, there's 85 million more people on the planet that uh, demand electricity. 25% of the world still goes to bed in the dark. So the long-term, uh, even the short-term demand for copper remains strong. You know, as copper is going to grow three, three and a half to four percent on a yearly basis, and so uh, I'm always looking for a good copper company. Um, you know, I own various comp uh, companies. I own uranium companies. I own oil and gas companies. I own a tungsten company. Uh, I own a graphite company. So that there's a lot of commodities out there, and that's where my expertise as a commodities analyst and a geologist really helps because there's a lot of commodities you want to stay away from <laughs> and very few that you that have good fundamentals for the junior resource sector. So I think I mentioned a few of those. Yes, sir. You know, recently you were doing some work uh, regarding iron, weren't you, were you not? Uh, well, I do a bi-weekly program for KITCO radio program called Mercenary Musings Radio. And we basically pick an element off the periodic table and discuss the supply demand fundamentals and, and the use in the world and, and where it comes from and if it is a commodity that uh, a junior exploration or development co company should be involved in. So we, we uh, did our, our uh, program on iron last week. We'll follow up today with uh, another program on iron ore, which iron is 95% of the metal produced on the planet is iron. So we've devoted two shows on it. Uh, we are now of the uh, 92 naturally occurring elements on the periodic table. We've now covered about uh, uh, 85 of those. So we just have a few more programs to do, and then we'll, we'll switch the focus of that radio shows something else. You know, I found it to be quite interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing that with the, the listeners here. In closing, your site, The Mercenary Geologist, is officially endorsed on Proven and Probable. One more time, please share with listeners the benefits of subscribing to your site. Well, I run a sponsorship model, which means that companies I cover, I own them, and they pay to advertise on my website or, or to sponsor my website. So it allows me to uh, put my products out for free to the general public. If you subscribe to my newsletter, you get my stock picks. Uh, if you do not subscribe, you get all the ancillary uh, commodities analysis and, and things I write and speak about. Um, so the advantage is it's free uh, and it's uh, informative. You know, a lot of what I do is, is designed to educate the lay investor because I operate under this uh, paradigm or this idea that if I can educate the lay investor and make him a better investor or speculator really is what this is all about, uh, then he will have more success in the market. He will continue to put his money into these junior resource stocks and uh, that will increase the volume. And we all know the volume on the stock exchange liquidity tends to increase prices, so it becomes a win-win for all involved. Yes, it is. If you would, please do share the website one last time, sir. Uh, it's mercenarygeologist.com. We have about 6,300 subscribers. 
We also run a Twitter feed at Mercenary Geo with 52,500 Twitter followers. And this interview, as all my interviews, goes up into the rotation on our 24-7 streaming audio internet radio station, mercenarygeologist.fm. And ladies and gentlemen, I do highly endorse that. If you're listening to this program and you're one of the subscribers of Proven and Probable, this is an absolute must for you. So, uh, Mr. Fulp, thank you again for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Hey, thanks a lot, Maurice. It's been my pleasure. All the best to you, sir. Thank you. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.